Good day, brothers and sisters, and welcome to New Creation Realities. And we're going to go ahead and continue with our lessons in Christ. And today I wanted us to just, just look at uh, a few things, not that many actually. <clears throat> it may end up being a very short lesson. But just some things that caught my attention and some things that the Lord had put on my placed upon my heart this morning uh, that I wanted to share with you. <clears throat> We've been looking at verses... Uh, that have the two Greek words, en Cristo, in Christ. And we've also looked at uh, in me and emoi. And <clears throat> just considering that and uh, considering what I ended up doing, uh, I ended up grouping just different verses because the, of the volume of verses that are declaring this reality in the New Testament, it is almost inexhaustible for me. So <clears throat> I went ahead and just grouped some, but as I, as I did that, the Lord was just kind of putting some things on my heart. So I want to just go ahead and share that before we get into uh, looking, before we get into some of those groupings. And basically it's just, I added uh, some subtitles where I put verses underneath to group them. <clears throat> okay. And so, just for today's lesson, I just wanted to just mention this. Now, what I'm about to mention is, is true and can be known whether the person is born again or not. Uh, I'll, make, I'll make a statement here in a second. And it is true. I've, I've, I've said this before, and I can't remember in what class or Bible conference, but it's very true. And uh, <clears throat> so let me just go ahead and make the statement. And this, it's not like, oh, something deeper to know. No, no, no. As I stated, a non-believer can know this. A non-believer can, can kind of make an observation and come to this conclusion. But <clears throat> here's what I wanted to uh, state, that a person will most likely always have a bias. And let me go ahead and explain just a little bit. Before a person is aware of something or of a particular theme or subject or topic, then I would say they're kind of unbiased concerning that because they've, they've never even heard of it, <clears throat> never even read of it, never even been in a conversation with another person concerning it. So at that moment, I would say that they are unbiased because they are ignorant. The moment a person is faced with, comes into contact with a subject or a theme that they never even knew it existed before, at that very moment, based on the information that is communicated by whatever form, immediately that person now has a bias. And what I mean by that is uh, <clears throat> if, they've, if they've never heard of the subject or the theme or whatever, the thing, T-H-I-N-G, whatever it is, they have no bias, no bias because uh, they're ignorant of it. And yet, the moment they hear about something, they have a bias. They will take a side. And then the next time that that subject or that theme or that thing comes up in conversation, they will, well, I'll just say we, we will listen to that and basically measure it with the bias we already have concerning it. And so, whether we believe we're right or whether we believe we're wrong, or whether our bias is correct or incorrect, really doesn't matter. We want to have some say in the matter. We want to make uh, our, our, because it's become our, our, we want to make our 
knowledge or our bias known as well. It's like a conversation going on <clears throat> amongst people, amongst friends or whatever. And then we also want to, I'll just, terrible vernacular, but we also want to add our two cents worth to the conversation. Basically meaning we want to add what we also know to the conversation. We don't want to be left out. Now, this is very sad, but very true. And even in coming to the scriptures, my brothers and sisters, we already have our bias of what we believe the scriptures are saying concerning a certain passage and what the purpose is in that particular passage, regardless of what it is. We already come with our preconceived uh, idea, our preconceived notion, our bias concerning it. Now, this requires uh, no, no superior knowledge of man to come to this conclusion. This requires nothing of God to come to this conclusion. Man can come to this conclusion by himself and just recognize this, observe this, observe it, recognize it, and acknowledge it. <clears throat> I will say this, though. It does take a miracle of God for man to finally confess he is ignorant and that his bias, his understanding, his knowledge, his wisdom is complete ignorance before the Almighty. This, my brothers and sisters, takes a miracle of God. Because man will, will always have his bias, and one's man, one man's bias will not be the same as another man's bias. And so therefore there's division even if these are born again, even if these two are born again. <clears throat> but with God, there is no division. The wisest man on earth, the wisest man on earth, confessed the following unto God. It was Solomon. Lord, thy servant is but a child, and I am. No, not. Therefore, give unto thy servant an understanding heart, that is, an obedient heart, a heart that turns to see the voice, a heart that responds to the voice that speaks with it. Wisest man on earth, wisest man on earth, I know not. And see, <clears throat> I've stated this before, that man can come to know a myriad of things. I mean, we have IQ tests to gauge the amount of knowledge we've either accumulated or memorized. And yet, that measurement is still below. Man's knowledge. It cannot attain unto it cannot reach unto the knowledge of God above, who is Christ his Son. Now, Jesus said this, No man can come to me except the Father draw him. This requires a miracle of God. And as I stated, man can know many things, but what man, whether that be unbeliever or believer, one who is not born again, or one who is born again. What man does not know is Christ himself. This requires a miracle of God. And when this is performed by God the Father, then man's only boast is in God. Because it is not man's knowledge that the heart is submitted to at that moment, but the knowledge of God. It will always be one or the other, my brothers and sisters, either our knowledge 
that comes and stems from, that originates from the first man, Adam, the Adamic man, the man born of the flesh, or it will be the knowledge of God, the Lord from heaven being the origin. <clears throat> One or the other. There's no mixture with the Lord. I'll give an example of this. And many of you, uh, if you've uh, heard, viewed, or seen uh, some of my classes, you'll know exactly what I'm going to say. But there's, there's a passage in the New Testament where Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And he says, you are the light of the world, a city upon a hill that cannot be hid. And, and we know he goes on. Okay, so you are the light of the world. Speaking of his disciples, well, basically speaking of believers. Then, and they would come to believe in him later. And so, we even have our bias upon that statement. So, if Jesus says we are the light of the world, what exactly does that mean? I mean, I've, very sadly, <laughs> and in times of, uh, well, times past, I'll just say that. Not not before I was born again, sadly to say, but uh, around the time when I was born again. We have these, well, I'll just say this. We've, we've got, you know, we may have a concept of as us being the light of the world, as though we're going to somehow be shining something of God, and the world is going to be attracted to that, kind of like a moth to a light. And we think that, or that somehow that, that non-believers will see some sort of uh, glow in our eyes or something, or just something that they can acknowledge that, oh, wow, this is different. There's something special about this person. And we may have our different concepts or biases of what Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Now, first and foremost, my brothers and sisters, he goes on to say that he himself is the light of the world, which is very true. Apart from him, my brothers and sisters, it is darkness. Now, concerning the believer, listen to what I say, and please present this to the Holy Spirit, because ultimately it is he who is our teacher and not anyone we can see or hear with a natural eye, natural ear, and understand, comprehend with a natural brain. Concerning the believer being a light, the only light that a believer has is their testimony of the one true light they have seen, which light is found exclusively in the face of Jesus Christ above. The light we have, my brothers and sisters, is our testimony. Not our testimony of, of what God did for us or of how God helped us. No, no. Our testimony of Him, the true light of the world. Our testimony of, listen, the resurrection. <clears throat> That'll become really important here in a little bit. Actually. And so this is the light. If we, if we as believers possess any light, this is the light. I mean, even John the Baptist, Jesus said of John, he said, uh, John was a burning torch. And I know I'm paraphrasing this. Basically, that's what he was saying. John is a burning, was a burning torch and you came to him. You were drawn to him. And yet, all that John did, this is speaking of John the Baptist, of course, all that John did was direct hearts unto Christ. The summation of the ministry of John the Baptist was not taking people and dunking them in water. That's not the summation. Now, that testifies of, that speaks of a preparation for one, wherein he says, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And then the next day he says, Behold the Lamb of God. This is the summation. 
of the ministry that John the Baptist served, directing others unto Christ. This was the light, the flaming torch, if you will, that he was testifying of the one who would come, who was present in their midst, though they knew him not. He was testifying of Christ, his testimony of beholding that one. Because it says, and John, seeing Jesus, said, said, saith, sorry, I'm thinking of the King James, saith, behold the Lamb of God. Testifying, declaring the one that he sees. So that's just an example. That is just an example. The light of the church is whatever testimony of Christ that is being born in the hearts of believers. This is the light we possess. And this is the light that we communicate unto others. The testimony of the one who is present. All right, so that's, once again, that's just an example of of our bias, where we have one bias or we have another bias. But in approaching the scriptures, my brothers and sisters, in approaching, listen, in approaching God or every or anything, anything, everything and anything of God, we must come to God and confess our own ignorance. I know not. Because it is our knowing which before God is ignorance. that puts the big stop sign before him and says, no, I already know this. I already understand this. Show me something I don't know. Well, my brothers and sisters, since the moment of new birth, our Father has been trying to show us the one whom we do not know. You can wrap it up all into this. God is eternally directing and bringing the soul of man, the heart of man, under the person of Christ, his Son. First in reality, for the moment of new birth, then in the knowledge of reality, that the heart may be submitted unto the knowledge of God, the eternal knowledge of God, who is Christ himself. So I just wanted to mention that, kind of just Put that forth so we can now read the following. All right, so we've read several times. um, We've been looking at the word N, Strong's number 1722. And we've we've looked several times at the passage in John chapter 14, verse 20. A passage which, which I would say makes no sense to the natural mind, makes no sense to the natural comprehension, makes no sense whatsoever. I even remember as a as a early as early early on being born again, uh, there was just some passages in the scripture that I would read, and in my mind they made no sense to me. I tried to figure. Listen, what I say. I tried to figure them out with a natural mind, with the same natural mind that everybody else of the Adamic creation has. And my brothers and sisters. It is impossible for man to know God by the natural mind. Impossible. We may know a testimony, but that testimony is designed and purposed of God to bring us, direct and bring us unto a person that only God himself can make known. So John chapter 14, verse 20. This is Jesus himself speaking to his disciples. This is before the crucifixion. He says this, In that day you will know. And you can, just looking at John chapter 14, verse 20, you can pencil, if you want, you can pencil off to the side of it. K-N-O-W, or K-N-O-W-I-N-G. Know, 
knowing. Because basically this is what uh, this verse is all about right here. In that day you will know. But what? Some new doctrine? Some new message? Some new teaching? No. That I am in my Father. Relationship. And you in me. And I in you. Now, <clears throat> we cannot begin to even conceive of what this looks like. I know that on, on, our, on our chalkboard behind me, I know I've got a diagram that the Lord had placed on my heart since I went to Bible school, since I was in Bible school. And it has <clears throat> been modified by the Lord since and has gotten clearer. But even the diagram behind me, my brothers and sisters, comes short of the reality of God that is known in the face of a person who is his son. In that day you will know, I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. This is a knowledge that is present in the day. A knowledge that is not present, not known at night in darkness. Now, of course, I separate above from below, light from darkness, because that's, that's a true separation. <clears throat> I mean, you see it in the, in the book of Genesis. There is a separation, the living from among the dead. There's a true separation right there, I would say, by the eternal cross. But there is no knowledge except the Spirit of the Lord bring our hearts by the knowledge of God unto the knowledge of God above in Christ. And my brothers and sisters, at that moment, it is not God saying, okay, let me tell you something. It is not God saying, okay, let me teach you something. It is not God saying, okay, let me, let me help you understand something. No. It is God the Father himself declaring, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. God the Father presenting his very own knowledge of a person, his son. And this is all that God ever does. He directs, he brings unto the person of his son. This is what God does. Man, man does not do that. We do not do this, brothers and sisters. God and God alone does this. God always has his son in view. Man has everything else in view. <clears throat> when the heart is directed by the work of the Holy Spirit and does come by the work of the Holy Spirit above unto the knowledge of God, then listen, I, I love this word, automatically we confess not a new teaching, not a new doctrine, no, no. We confess it is not I, but Christ. It is not my knowledge, it is the eternal knowledge of God who is Christ Jesus. It is not what I know. It is what God the Father knows. It is not my knowing, but His. And we testify of the truth. Not my mind, not my will. All this is automatic, my brothers and sisters. It's not something we have to learn. Or that we, after so many years, end up learning or even be able to go to school or some 12-week, six-week-long program to learn. No, no, no. No. It's coming by the work of the Holy Spirit from one to the other. That's it. From one man, the first man, Adam, unto the second man, the Lord from heaven. 
But for the born-again believers, my brothers and sisters, this is coming in knowledge. From the knowledge of the first to the knowledge of the second, which knowledge does not originate in man, but in God. God is the source of this knowledge. Therefore, it is not man's knowledge. It is God's. All right. In that day, once again, John chapter 14, verse 20. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father. You in me. There's one of our phrases, in me and emoi. And I in you. And I wanted to just share just a couple, a couple, a few verses, because uh, in our next lesson, we're going to be looking at some passages, I believe, concerning Christ uh, being in the church. It's either Christ being in the church or the church being found in Christ, one or the other. <laughs> and um, so, <clears throat> but I want to, I want us to look at this first. And I want to look at the testimony of this. This is Exodus chapter 19, beginning with verse 1. 1 through 4. Exodus Exodus chapter 19, verses 1 through 4. In the third, okay, and now just uh, context here. The children of Israel, who were bound and enslaved in Egypt among the dead, being ruled by Pharaoh, with no hope whatsoever of escaping, they are in one state, one condition, and then God sends his lamb, and everything changes. The lamb is slain, the blood is put on the doorposts and lintel, They enter in through the door. They eat the lamb. The lamb is now on the inside, whether they recognize it, acknowledge it, know it or not. The judgment comes upon the whole world. That which is judged, it is judged and condemned and brought to death in the death of the true firstborn. That which is dead must be buried. Come to the Red Sea, the baptism. And we know that only as God defines Israel, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. Only the firstborn son comes forth out of the grave in resurrection. All this is testimony, my brothers and sisters, and it is a true testimony all Egypt and everything else that were dead, because their confession, once again, was, we be dead. All that is dead remains buried in the grave. Okay, so this is the sequence of events. Exodus chapter 19, starting with verse 1, 1 through 4. In the third month, after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, See, the order, even natural timeline order, all this has already taken place. Death, burial, resurrection. On the same day, they came to the wilderness of Sinai. For they had departed from Rephidim, had come to the wilderness of Sinai, and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped before the mountain, and Moses went up to God. And the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. This is what God has, hath, done. Not what Moses did. Not what Aaron did. Not what the children of Israel did. No. What, Lord speaking, what I did. This is what God hath done. 
This is what the Almighty El Shaddai hath done, remember? The God of your father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the work of the Almighty, what God hath done. I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. My brothers and sisters, not brought to a new understanding or a new knowledge or a new way of relating or a new hidden knowledge. No, no, no. Brought to a person. God has done this. This is what God does. This is a beautiful testimony, my brothers and sisters, of what God performs, of what God accomplishes in a soul, the moment of new birth. Whether we realize this, acknowledge this, know this, believe this, or not. The testimony, my brothers and sisters, is a true testimony. <clears throat> All brought about in a person, the person of Christ Jesus, the only begotten Son of the Father. Because remember, my brothers and sisters, nothing of Israel's condition changed until the Lamb came into view until the lamb was brought forth and sacrificed. Nothing of their condition changed. Yes, there were miracles, there were signs, there were wonders, there were judgments, until the ultimate miracle, the ultimate sign, the ultimate judgment came when the Son of Man was lifted up and drew all in unto himself. Beautiful testimony of Christ. All right. Let's see. I've got another passage here <clears throat> that I just want to look at. And I'll, I'll see if I want to share it or not. <clears throat> Excuse me. Okay. Now it's, I basically sort of quoted a little bit of it. Well, I'll go ahead and read it. This was actually Exodus chapter 3, uh, verse, where should I begin? I'll just begin with verse 10. 10 through 18. Uh, this is this is where the Lord uh, calls Moses, where the Lord, where Moses comes to the Mount of God, comes before the Mount of God, and God appears in the burning bush, and it draws Moses's attention to behold and look upon the Lord, and then where the Lord says, "Remove your sandals from this place, because the place where you stand, or from your feet, because the place where you stand is holy ground." Okay, all very significant. Uh, Exodus chapter 3, verse 10. Come now, therefore, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So he said, basically, basically, Moses is confessing, I am not, I cannot. I mean, before the Almighty, my brothers and sisters, that it would be the most wisest confession uh, we can make before the Almighty. Think about it. So God said, so he said, I will certainly be with you. And that's the difference. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. He didn't say in this valley, Remember, the testimony is very specific. You shall serve God 
above on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel, and they say to me, and oh, excuse me, uh, then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel, and they say, uh, and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Verse 14, And God said to Moses, I am who I am, or I am that I am, the eternal, the almighty. Uh, and he said, thus shall you say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, thus shall you say to the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. My brothers and sisters, this is none other than the Almighty has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob appeared to me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, to a land flowing with milk and honey. Basically, my brothers and sisters, the promised land, the land of Canaan, the very land that our father, the God of glory, brought Abraham unto when he first appeared. Then they will heed your voice, and you shall come you and the elders of Israel to the king of Egypt and shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us, and now please let us go three days' journey. See, everything is specific in this testimony. The scriptures which are the testimony of Christ. Three days, death, burial, resurrection. Let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go, not even by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst. And afterward, he will let you go. So I ended up going to verse 20. <clears throat> Excuse me. But it is a three-day journey, my brothers and sisters. It happens instantaneously. Is that even a word? Instantly. <laughs> the moment of new birth. My brothers and sisters, it is still a three-day journey for the one who is born again. But listen, it is one in knowledge, the knowledge of God, wherein we are brought by the ability of the Holy Spirit unto the knowledge of God, who is Christ himself, unto the one whom our soul has already been brought the very moment of new birth. So the Lord <clears throat> declaring, you saw what I did to the Egyptians. Was that verse four? And how, and I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now during that time, my brothers and sisters, the children of Israel were in the wilderness. It sure did not look like that. For them, as they saw, as they considered with a natural eye, a natural ear, and a natural mind. And nonetheless, God is declaring what is true. Because it is a true testimony of Christ. All right. Now, fast forward. Let's look at the Gospel of John, chapter 14. But beginning with verse 1. Before verse 20, remember verse 20 was a, a verse uh, having to do with knowledge. In that day you will know. 
I am in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. We're beginning with verse 1 of the same chapter, John chapter 14. This is Jesus speaking. Let not your heart be troubled, you believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. And basically, it is a great dwelling place, place of abode. There, I'll paraphrase this in my own words, there is room enough, my brothers and sisters, for all in the house of God. There is room enough for all in the house of God. All right. In my father's house, much abode there is. If it were not so, I would have told you. I love that of the Lord. He's saying, look, if this wasn't the case, I would certainly tell you. He goes to say this. This is Jesus speaking. I go to prepare a place for you. Of course, my brothers and sisters, this is now, you know, this is no longer Old Testament. This is Jesus himself speaking to his disciples who at that moment are in one place, one creation, while Jesus himself is in a completely other place, other creation above. You have to forgive my dog. She's excited about something, certainly excited about something. <laughs> my, my audio cable isn't long enough to go open the door and say, calm down, Shiloh. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so uh, right here, this is Jesus speaking. This is before his crucifixion, before his death, burial, and resurrection. He's speaking to his disciples, and he's trying to comfort them because he knows what is about to come upon them. He knows what they are about to face in the natural. Their shepherd will be slain. Smite the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. He knows all this is going to happen because it is a true testimony. He knows what's going to happen. That's why he has to, he has to comfort them. He has to gather them together. Um, let your heart not, not be troubled. You know, don't, don't, what is about to happen and what is happening, don't let it trouble you. Don't let it, don't let it bother you. Don't let it, don't let it shipwreck you. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, plentiful abode. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go prepare a place for you. And if I go, verse 3, and if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Now, we read in Exodus the true testimony, my brothers and sisters, where where the Lord is declaring, you saw what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. This is a true testimony. And here Jesus himself is declaring that this testimony is about to be fulfilled in his very own person. And if I go, here is his going, when he goes away in death, out of, out of, out of their natural comprehension, out of their natural sight, out of their natural reasoning, if I go in death and in burial and in resurrection, I will, and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. How I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Now, my brothers and sisters, whether we realize this or not, whether we believe this or not, whether we accept this or not, this happened past tense. This now happens for all the moment of new birth. All right? This, let's just look at a verse real quick. This is Acts chapter 2, 
Let's look at verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, that is, all of his disciples. Verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, verse 2, and then suddenly there came a sound from heaven, something going on from heaven, as of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and, uh, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues, and the Spirit gave, as the Spirit gave them utterance. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, I'm going to keep on reading because this is very significant. <clears throat> Verse 29, further on down, uh, people of the area got their attention, and here's Peter saying, look, basically, men and brethren, let me speak to you freely. You know, everything that you're hearing, this isn't, these men are drunk. We're not drunk. This is what the prophet Joel declared. Then he goes on to say, men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried and his tomb uh, is with us uh, to this day. And therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, and of course, I'm, you can read previously all, all that he said, to an oath, excuse me, with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, in hell, in the grave, among the dead, nor did his flesh see corruption. Verse 32, this Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Verse 33, Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. Now, <clears throat> we with a Western mind and say, read that and say, okay, so now we need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Well, yes. And yet there's so much more to this, my brothers and sisters. Luke wrote this, penned this by the inspiration of the Spirit of God Himself. Because here's this. The Jews believed, the Jews knew, according to the Scriptures, that the pouring out, the giving of the Holy Spirit would come during the reign, during the kingdom and reign of the Messiah. Their whole entire expectation. And this very thing was one sign that he has come. And so God sent his lamb. The lamb was crucified. The lamb was buried. The lamb rose again. And my brothers and sisters, the lamb came and received his own, and brought his own unto himself. That very moment. And from that very moment onward, my brothers and sisters, the Lamb continues to receive and bring unto himself. As each soul drawn by the Holy Spirit is brought to the moment of new birth. <clears throat> now, this is the truth. Now, I can even go on and say another testimony, right? Another testimony. Because with, uh, with and I didn't, forgive me, I didn't write the verse down, but with Exodus, how the Lord is speaking to Moses to speak to the children of Israel, how I brought you with eagle's wings unto myself, and the children of Israel during that time, though they are in resurrection, they walk contrary to the truth. They walk as mere men, and they do not walk in the light. And yet there are those within the midst that do. Moses, Aaron, Joshua, Caleb, Phineas, who truly walk in the light of the reality of the truth that is come the moment the Lamb of God appeared. And so now the testimony goes on. 
Now, under the headship of Joshua, another one who is a testimony of Christ. Yes, Moses is also a testimony of Christ as well. But now with Moses, excuse me, with Joshua, a testimony of the second man, the second, Joshua comes and takes possession of his inheritance. Joshua, as the head of Israel, who is my son, even my firstborn, the head of the body, comes and takes his rightful possession, for he is also the heir. And so they come into the land. And what do they do in the land? They destroy every idol, vain imagination, concept of man, man's concept of God, man's man's own image of God, casting down imaginations. Casting down thoughts, anything that would exalt itself against the knowledge of Christ. Beautiful testimony. All right. And so, let me just write that down. Wasn't in my note, my notes. Next passage, Ephesians chapter two. We've already read this, but I'll just read verse one through one through six. Now this is the Apostle Paul. This is one who is born again, and not only is born again, but whose heart, by the work of this, by the work of the Holy Spirit, has been directed to behold the person of the new birth, Christ Himself. This is one whose heart is actually abiding, walking, listen, in the light, in the eternal day. Remember what Jesus said, in that day you will know. Apart from that day, ignorance, you do not know. So here's just one apostle who is in complete full agreement with the rest of the apostles based upon being eyewitnesses of the resurrection, Christ himself. So now, either this one is true or he's a liar. Either what he's declaring is the truth and is a reality or what he's declaring is some fable, something else so that man can now begin to believe. Since man believes so many things, he's just adding to the mix. It's one or the other, my brothers and sisters. This is either true or it is false. One or the other. Now, of course, we know, my brothers and sisters, that every single apostle declared the truth as it is in Jesus once again, they were eyewitnesses of the resurrection. Therefore, their words testify, declare him even unto this day, because it is a true testimony. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Basically, the Gentile believers. I would say any believers, the same thing. Same type of circumstances in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Verse 4, but God. Remember, in the testimony of the children of Israel, stuck in Egypt, miserable existence, could do nothing whatsoever to escape it. But God, 
That's always the difference. Who is rich in mercy. Mercy implies a situation, a condition that is completely hopeless with an individual. And yet there appears one who has all ability, all power to change that condition and extends his ability unto the other. That is mercy. My God is mercy. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, in dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. He's done this. And, verse 6, raised us up and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus and Cristo. Once again, my brothers and sisters, either our salvation is a positional salvation and we have no salvation at all, no life at all, no forgiveness of sins at all, or our salvation is conditional, a condition based upon Christ himself bringing a new condition unto the soul. Where once there was death, and that was the condition, that was the state of the soul, now there is life. My brothers and sisters, our salvation is not a position, but a person who brings in himself a new state, a new being, a new condition for our soul. Raised up, seated together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Because the resurrection has appeared in our souls, my brothers and sisters, our souls are now in resurrection. As I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you unto myself. In that day you will know I am in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So now, my brothers and sisters, having seen a true testimony in the Scriptures, which testimony is indeed true, will we, like the children of Israel, refuse the true testimony that declares the true state of being of our soul? Will our heart continue submitted unto a Pharaoh, a God of this world, that is, listen, no longer present? Or will our heart, by the work of the Holy Spirit, begin to submit unto the knowledge of God? unto the true King who is present. Once again, my brothers and sisters, this requires a miracle of God. For with man, it is forever, eternally impossible. Cannot be known with the natural eye. The children of Israel in the wilderness for 40 years proved it cannot be known by the natural hearing, cannot be known, cannot be understood with a natural mind. Once again, the children of Israel for 40 years proved it. And yet there were those, my brothers and sisters, there were those who wanted, uh, I can't even say who wanted, whose desire was from God, of God, to know the truth. Therefore, they walked in the truth. They walked in light. They served 
the Lord in their generation. So please present this to the Holy Spirit, our teacher. Amen. That he would take whatever that he desires to take, to use it for God's own end, God's own purpose in our hearts. Amen. The Lord bless you. We'll see you in our next lesson. Amen.